An Anglican priest and poet put these words into the mouth of an English soldier during World War I. Our padre says I'm a sinner and John Bull says I'm a saint. And they're both of them bound to be liars, for I'm neither of them, I ain't. I'm a man, and a man's a mixture right down from his very birth. For part of him comes from heaven, and part of him comes from earth. In a sense, this is true of every man. We were all made in the image of God and from the dust of the earth. But this is especially true of a Christian. At our second birth, the Spirit of God came into our lives. After forgiving us and cleansing us, he inhabited our bodies. Now, our bodies obviously remain physical in nature, but by joining ourselves to Christ on the cross through baptism, we indicated a willingness to crucify the flesh. We killed the old man so the new man could live. We soon learned, however, that the old man has a way of coming back to life. A living sacrifice has a tendency to crawl off the altar. We've been given a new nature, but the old one still hangs around, and the old nature butts into our life much more often than we'd like. So we really are. A mixture. Part of us comes from heaven, and part of us comes from earth. Now, again, this is true of of every man. Everyone has moral conflicts, and all have been given a conscience. Some repress it and refuse to listen to it, but for others, it's the closest thing they have to the voice of God. Those of us, however, who have actually been inhabited by the Holy Spirit, really do hear from God. Not through some mystical voice in our heads, but through his word. And through the indwelling and empowering presence of his spirit within us, we're able to understand his word and to therefore discern his will and apply his word to the decisions we face in life. Just knowing God's will, however, and even having been given the power to do it, doesn't mean we always do it. In fact, actually knowing the will of God makes for spiritual battles that non-Christians don't have. They really don't know what God wants of them. So if they can overcome their conscience... They can simply go through life blindly living for the flesh. Now, true, there will be eternal price to pay for doing so, as well as untold negative consequences in this life, but they don't face the struggles we face on a daily basis to follow God's will. We know what God wants, and we know he's promised to give us the strength to do it. But still, we struggle. 
in the fullest sense. We are of both the spirit and the flesh. And we better anticipate the problems as well as the blessings that will come from making a decision to walk by the spirit. We're continuing in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Ready for verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now let's take a little liberty with the text for a moment and turn this into a visual image of coming out of the Vanity Fair shopping center, having been enticed by fleshly desires. We've been tempted to load up our shopping bags with lots of stuff. But knowing that we're going to have to walk by the Spirit of God on the way out, there are some things we don't want to be seen carrying out. Now, I'm sure Paul didn't visualize that when writing it. But maybe that'll help you remember what he did say. And he did emphatically call our attention to what he was about to say. He began with, but I say before stating that if we are walking by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And do note that our walk life, or our life in Christ is a walk. The verb tense he used is progressive, indicating a continual walk that's going somewhere, something he made very clear in Philippians 3.14. Where he writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Our life in Christ is not static. We don't get saved and then stop moving. Through his grace, we've been told to stop striving to find acceptance with him. But our life is still a spiritual journey, a walk that is headed somewhere. And it's our desire to please him as we walk through life. So we walk by the Spirit, directed by His Spirit and empowered by His Spirit. He has revealed His will to us in His Word, and He has indwelt us to enable us to follow His will. So it's by His strength that we strive to live a life that brings Him pleasure, a life that reflects the presence of His life within us. If we're going to walk by the Spirit, we'll obviously not carry out the desire of the flesh. We'll do what the Spirit wants, not what the flesh wants. But, but what does Paul mean by the flesh? You know, the word translated flesh, sarx, is an interesting word. It's actually used 13 different ways in the New Testament. It can mean everything from the physical body itself to the weaker element in human nature to that which is carnal and sinful. When Paul says we'll not carry out the desires of the flesh, he's not suggesting that if we're spiritual, we'll refrain from meeting our physical needs, that it's wrong for us to eat when we're hungry. What he's saying is that we must keep our carnal, our unspiritual, our sinful desires in check. That we must not allow our lives to be dominated by our lower fleshly nature. And that indicates that Christians still have a lower fleshly nature. That even Christians 
have sinful desires. <laughs> I trust that's not news to you. But what you may not realize is that if you're going to walk by the Spirit, you will be at war with the flesh. Verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Peter actually did cast this in war imagery. In 1 Peter 2, he writes, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. If the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, we better expect a battle. There's going to be spiritual warfare going on. And in Ephesians 6, Paul makes it clear that we do indeed face a spiritual battle. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our struggle against the flesh is not against an enemy made of flesh. It's against a spiritual enemy. But it does take place within a fleshly body. The, bottle, the, the battle takes place within us, within our hearts and minds. And it's a war against the soul. The spirit and the flesh are engaged in unrelenting warfare to establish dominion over a man's soul. You know, if there's no struggle, someone's not fighting. And you can be certain it's not the flesh that stopped fighting. So if we're walking by the Spirit, we will sense a struggle going on. We'll know that there's a spiritual battle taking place within us. We're not just spectators. We have an important role to play over who wins. I'm sure many of you know where I'm going with that. Yes, I'm going to the white dog and the black dog. I know many of you have heard this little story many times over the years, but just in case there's someone here who's not heard it, I'm going to tell it again. The story is told of a missionary who ran into an old Indian he had some years earlier led to the Lord. And when asked how he was doing, the Indian replied that he felt as if he had a big white dog and a big black dog fighting inside him all the time. And the missionary asked which one was winning. The Indian replied, what? The one I feed the most. Which one's winning? The one I feed the most. What a great illustration. What a great reminder of the need to feed our spiritual nature more than we feed the flesh. They are indeed in opposition to one another, and the one that is fed the most generally wins. So which one are you feeding 
the most? Do you spend more time doing things that feed your flesh or things that feed your spirit? How much time do you spend in Bible study, in prayer, in worship, in contemplation of things of the Spirit? If it's not much, it's doubtful that the Spirit is winning. We are in spiritual warfare. And Paul says that means we may not do the things that we please. And that can actually mean one of two things, or, or both. It can mean we must let the Spirit take control so we won't do the things we'd like to do, or that we'll not be able to do the good things we'd like to do, what we know we should do, if we let the flesh take control. Either way, we have a battle on our hands. Our evil impulses are restrained by the Spirit, and our good impulses are restrained by the flesh. That means we've got to keep the Spirit's influence in our life strong so we can keep the flesh in check. And we've got to fight against the flesh to keep it from hindering the Spirit. Now, this is not an easy thing to do. The Apostle Paul attested to this when he shared with the Romans his own spiritual struggle. It's a lengthy passage, but I believe we'll be encouraged by Paul's honesty and by the struggle he faced in spiritual warfare. We're in Romans. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold in bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. I am doing the very thing I hate. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul talking here. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me the one who wishes to do good. For I, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am! Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks, be to God, then, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Even the great Apostle Paul had to rely on the grace of God and the forgiveness of Christ to find victory 
over the flesh. He continued. So then on the one hand, I find myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The struggle continues. The flesh doesn't go away. It didn't even go away for an apostle. The only way to win is through the grace of God, through forgiveness for our failure. And through the strength he gives to keep walking in spite of our screw-ups. That means we don't simply make a decision to follow Christ and that's the end of it. No, no. The battle's over. No, no, it's not true. No, we are in the midst of spiritual warfare every day. And we must consciously commit ourselves to fighting the flesh every day day. It's a daily struggle, even for an apostle, and obviously a preacher, to walk in the Spirit. It takes discipline and obedience, but that does not mean we must slip back into legalism, for in Christ there is another way. Verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If the Spirit is leading us, 
If we are listening to his word and following his will, we don't have to put ourselves back under the law to live lives that please God. In fact, as Paul has made abundantly clear, if we put ourselves back under the law, we won't be able to please God. Because no one can perfectly obey the law. And since it's impossible to measure up to an external standard engraved on stone, God has made it possible for us to be led by the Spirit. To be led by hearts and minds that have been formed by the Word of God and empowered by the Spirit who indwells us. Jeremiah foresaw a day when the law of God would be written upon the hearts of his people, when they would not only know it, but would also be empowered from within to do it. The writer of Hebrews speaks of the coming of that day when quoting Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind. I will write them. Now that doesn't mean a day was coming when there would be no longer a need to know God's revealed will for our lives, that everyone would just instinctively know God's will and could listen to their heart to discern it. Now that would be a very dangerous way to live, for it would open us up to unchecked spiritual deception. What Jeremiah was foreseen was a day when God's word would be widely known by his people and it would be their heart's desire to follow it. A day when they would no longer have to live under the threat of the law. A day when they could live under grace and the law of love. A day when the whole law would be simply lived out by following two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. If our mind has been filled with God's word, and our heart filled with his love, we'll know how and be motivated to Live lives that please him. If we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. There's no need to be. The Spirit will have informed us of God's will in his word and given us the power and the desire to live lives that honor him. That doesn't mean we'll live perfect lives, lives of peace, and harmony. In fact, if we walk by the Spirit, we'll constantly find ourselves in the midst of spiritual warfare. But the Spirit within us will give us the peace of knowing that even in our struggles and failures, we are acceptable to our Heavenly Father. Walking by the Spirit requires knowing the will of God and striving to follow it. And the grace of God makes our attempts acceptable. 
Because the sacrifice of Christ makes forgiveness possible. How can we not surrender our will to a God who has made such a life possible? If you've not surrendered to his will, I pray that you will. I surrender all. When we surrender all, we commit our lives to a struggle. But we commit ourselves to a life that's victorious. Through the word, through the power of God, and through the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. Let's surrender to him. Not just now, but daily, moment by moment.